All right, welcome to the conversation. This one's gonna be very interesting. Congressman Ro Khan is back. He's also got a book out. It's called Dignity in a Digital Age, Making the Tech Work for All of Us. And it's an interesting idea of that a progressive legislator has to bring in the rest of the country, even though he represents Silicon Valley. Obviously, there's some interesting votes in Congress, a lot to talk about. Congressman Khan, welcome back to the TYT. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, uh, Ro, uh, before we get to the book, a uh, lot to talk about uh, since we last uh, talked. So, um, that was the day of the vote on decoupling infrastructure and build back better. Uh, and we thought it was a bad idea, we as in uh, here at TOT, I did. Um, and, and that if we decoupled it, we would not get build back better at all. Uh, and there was the philosophy of trust Biden. And so, that obviously didn't work. Now Joe Manchin has killed it entirely. So was it a mistake to go with the trust Biden strategy? No, because I don't think we would have had any other option. The reality is even if you had not passed infrastructure, you still wouldn't have had Bill back better in its form. So the question is, do you think infrastructure did marginally more good than harm for society? I think it did. A significant amount of good. It took out lead pipes and expanded rural broadband, helped create construction jobs. Now, I still think we need the climate provisions and a lot of what was in Build Back Better, and we're working to getting it, but candidly, it's not going to be what it was that the House passed. So, well, the fact is that. That was not the argument at the time, let's be honest, right? The argument at the time was we should trust Biden and that he had a secret plan and that he had an agreement with Manchin and they, they were gonna pass Build Back Better. Uh, are you saying now that no, that was never the deal and you guys knew Build Back Better was gonna be killed by Manchin? Or did Biden have no plan at all? Because it's one or the other. Fair question. I always thought there was a risk. I didn't think it was a sure shot, but we thought that the best chance of passing Build Back Better was to get the president to put out a framework and get the president's commitment around it. We felt pretty confident that that framework would allow the passage. Obviously, that didn't work. But had we not voted for infrastructure, I don't think we would have had Build Back Better. This was our highest probability play of getting Build Back Better. It didn't work. Yeah. The reason is because I don't think. I don't think Senator Manchin cared enough about infrastructure to say, okay, if I vote for, I need infrastructure as much cinema did. So I just don't think, having been part of the conversation, is that you know his concern is the spending, and he's fine with there be nothing. And so the question is, how do you get him for something? We thought this was the the highest probability play. Obviously, it turned out not to work in the case of Build Back Better. Yeah. Uh, I don't agree. Uh, I think he really wanted the infrastructure bill because it was filled with corporate pork. And so that's what he lives on, corporate pork. So if you had threatened his donors money, uh, then that was your best chance. In fact, that's why he was upset, Ro. That's why he was upset that you guys were holding infrastructure. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been upset at all. So, but now, okay, water on the bridge, although it isn't. Uh, it was a total debacle <laughs> and an obvious mistake. But uh, now, uh, now, uh, you said last week, I believe we should give Manchin the deference and respect now to put something together that could be a consensus, meaning let him write the bill. In fact, you said give him the pen and let him write the bill. And then after you said that, uh, Manchin came out and said, yeah, here's my version of the bill, nothing, uh, it's dead. 
So doesn't that prove that Manchin is a bad faith actor, only works for his donors, and never had any intention of passing any of Build Back Better? No, because that statement that he made was misinterpreted in the media. But he said he's not for the House version of Build Back Better, that that, as he put it, is dead. Uh, he is for a new bill. Now, what I have said mm -hmm. is that if you want to pass climate, and let's just be realistic, it's going to be a uphill midterm. It always is with the president's party. We have a narrow majority. Obviously, we're going to fight. But if we don't get climate in 2022, who knows when we get climate? So we have to, in my view, get climate. And to do that, you need Manchin's vote. And you need, he's okay with 400 and 500 billion of climate spending in a new bill. What I've said is give him the pen, as you pointed out, let him come up with a draft. Obviously, if there's some poison pill in there, uh, we wouldn't support it. But I think we can come to a consensus and get climate. And, and what are the alternatives? No climate for who knows how many years. So I'll get to the alternatives in a second. Uh, but one more question on, on the current strategy. So are you saying that you think Joe Manchin is gonna write a Build Back Better bill? First of all, let's just note that he's now president. Uh, Biden's agenda is totally irrelevant. We're literally saying, I mean, I'm not saying it, you're saying it. And it appears Biden and Pelosi and Schumer are saying it. Let Manchin write whatever you want. So okay, that's we don't even have to ask that question. Apparently he's president, uh, even though nobody in the country voted for him outside of West Virginia. But okay, even accepting that, do you really think he's gonna write a bill that is gonna have meaningful climate legislation? He, he owns a coal company, his top donors are fossil fuel uh, companies. I have that at approximately 0% chance of happening. So let me ask you both in that way, is it it's binary, is it even gonna happen? And then second of all, if you think it is gonna happen, what on God's green earth would Manchin's donors find acceptable that they would put in the bill? Well, first of all, as you know, the clean electricity program is already out of the Build Back Better. And that uh, there are provisions that I would want in, uh, that including a methane fee and the fossil fuel subsidies that aren't gonna pass a Senate. So obviously he's not gonna write the bill that I would write uh, or that progressives would write or that even President Biden would write. But where he will be fine, in my opinion, uh, is four to $500 billion of investment in renewable energy, electric vehicles, uh, in solar, in uh, building out batteries and building out the infrastructure of the smart grid. And that's significant. That's the biggest investment in climate we've uh, ever made. So is it uh, perfect? No, uh, but is it much better than not having those investments? Absolutely, and he's always said he's for the innovation investments where he gets a concern is where there's gonna be a price on fossil fuel and carbon. Some of us would want end of fossil fuel subsidies, a price on methane. And I'm acknowledging that may not make it in, but I still rather have 500 billion of climate investment than nothing. Okay, I, I you know what, You're, you've at least convinced me that there is a, a tiny percentage chance that something exists. And Manchin has to hurry up and get solar donors and uh, electric car donors, and once he gets uh, checks from them, maybe there's a prayer that some version of that uh, could pass. What else would be in the bill? He, uh, as I understand from his public comments, is four, three-year-old and four-year-olds getting uh, a preschool. And West Virginia already has this, so this is not a hard lift. But it'd be a big deal to make sure every three and four-year-old gets a preschool. Uh, you would have Medicaid expansion. I mean, right now, as you know, there are a lot of people who don't have enough money to buy on the exchange, they're on Medicaid, or they don't qualify for Medicaid, you would expand Medicaid 
which is a very, very, very small step to what you and I want, which is Medicare for all. But at least you're getting more people on Medicaid. Uh, my sense is he'd have some funding uh, for childcare and elder care. Obviously, I don't know exactly. We have to see something from him. But that would be the the core provisions. As I think of the three things, I take climate, universal preschool, uh, some form of healthcare expansion. Okay, th this is helpful. So uh, I could see doing Medicaid expansion. It doesn't cost his donors any money. Uh, and and universal pre-K, his donors want that because they want to drive everybody, uh, the parents, back to work. So they want the government to pay for um, you know the pre-K uh, so that they they'll have their workers back. Uh, it's okay. I like that provision. So I guess we can make a deal with the corporations on that. And that's who President Manchin represents, obviously. So that that's who we're negotiating with at this point. So let me give you an alternative, though. Um, so whether that passes or it doesn't, because at this point you're saying dead doesn't mean dead. At best, I'll call that 50-50. I think it probably does mean dead because you guys are giving. That's given, fair. Yeah. Fair. Um, and so, but the alternative, Congressman Khanna, is to embarrass him. And so, let, let me be clear, though, not for the sake of venting, not for uh, you know, oh, because we're angry at him. No, uh, but because politics is about carrots and sticks. And when it comes to Democrats, I have never ever seen them use a stick against conservative Democrats or corporations or anyone that anyone's donors. I've seen them use sticks against progressives all the time, all the time. They love sticks against progressives. I've never seen it against a conservative Democrat, literally never. So how about you introduce a standalone bill, for example, on um, negotiating drug prices through which was in through Medicare, which was in Build Back Better. Now, Manchin's opposed to that. It polls at over 80% in West Virginia. It polls at over 90% in the country, it polls at over 80% in West Virginia. And then Representative Connor, someone like yourself could, could ask, why is Joe Manchin not doing this? Could it be because of his drug company and, and insurance company donors? Because otherwise, why the hell is he opposed to 82% of his own voters? My understanding, Jack, actually, is that Unlike Kirsten Cinema, who is opposed to the uh, drug negotiation uh, and uh, having Medicare negotiated drugs, then Manchin is fine with that. And Manchin is actually also fine with the billionaire tax. I have, and many progressives have called out Kirsten Cinema. I have said that she should be censured. I was on the MSNBC saying that. I've said that she totally doesn't reflect the state. The difference, in my view, and we just may have a disagreement here, is I think Senator Manchin is popularity. He's at 60% in West Virginia. He's carried the state for 40 years. Uh, and yeah. uh, he is a person there who, who right, in my view, does, Ro, isn't going to be bullied. In, in no, that's not true now, at all. That's not is, true at all. So, Ro, that we, it's not a. You guys have never ever laid a glove on Mansion. So, how would you know if it would ever work? So, he, you say he's a sixty percent popularity because you've never bothered to tell people that. Oh my God, all these provisions, uh, higher tax on the rich, pulls a seventy-two percent in West Virginia, expanded Medicaid. Uh, I'm sorry, expanded Medicare uh, that includes dental, vision, and hearing, which you've talked about. I know you're an advocate of all of these things, right? But that polls at 82% in West Virginia. But you guys have never, ever used a stick on Mansion. So that's why he's sitting at 60%. If you guys told people how corrupt he is and how he serves his donors, maybe he wouldn't be at 60%. Maybe he'd be at 40% and a little bit more open to negotiation. 
So we have pushed, you'll acknowledge on Kirsten said, Mount Manchin, first of all, he's much more open to higher taxes. He's open I don't to believe billionaire him at taxes, all. He's open to raising taxes. I think he's a liar. I don't believe him yeah, at we'll all. See, we'll see what is, well, we'll see his, his proposal on it. The, the, uh, and I'm open to your vision, uh, which Senator Sanders has called for, and I've supported, which is let's have individual vote. So here's my point. Let's have a compromise if we can get it, and 50% is a fair assessment because I don't want to hear uh, comments say, look, this is going to happen. We don't know, but I do think it's a realistic possibility on climate, on preschool, and on uh, on Medicaid expansion. And then let's have a, a standalone vote on dental vision and hearing, which as you pointed out, is actually the most popular thing in the entire bill. Uh, let's have a standalone vote on $15 minimum wage. Let's have a standalone vote on housing and making sure we're getting more affordable housing. I mean, with the provisions that we uh, aren't getting through the compromise, I'm all for having a standalone vote and putting everyone on record and, and calling people out on those votes. And I have advocated that. Uh, that's not a position popular in the leadership. It's, it's something Sanders has advocated uh, and I support him on that. So, Ro, you're one of the non-corrupt members of Congress. That's he, you were one of the first to say that you're not going to take corporate PAC money. That's and you're one of the most open and transparent people in Congress, and that's why it's great to have these conversations with you. But I've got to press on one thing, and in the form of a question: Why don't you guys ever point out their corruption? Why don't you ever talk about their donors? Are you are are people in Washington not aware that 99% of the decisions that are made by corporate Democrats, which is 90% of the party, is driven by their donors? Do you think that they're, it's not driven by their donors? I'm perplexed, that's why I'm, because you know that, hey, look, it, pointing out cinema's problems drove her poll numbers down, and now she's in trouble. And now that is a tactic that could work carrots and sticks. So why do you guys never ever talk about their donors? Well, Cinema, I, I, I don't know what it is. It could be possibly her donors, but the fact that she's opposed to price negotiation on Medicare, but look, the pharmaceutical lobby is very strong. The fact that she's opposed to any tax increases, that could be corporate donors. In Manchin's case, he's for tax increases, he's for prescription drug price negotiation. No way My is. sense is where I philosophically disagree with him uh, is that he's for deficit reduction and cares about deficit reduction more than the investment. I don't think there it's as simple a story, but the bottom, but the broader perspective is that you have to work with people to get things done. Uh, attacking them and a person's integrity is a short way of saying they're not gonna work with you. Someone could attack my integrity, I mean that, Happens all the time. And yeah, but that is my point, Ro. I mean, look, I'm a no, but Ro, but that that happens all the time for progressives. So why do we have? Why did we agree to an uneven battlefield? Uh, for example, the six just Democrats, uh, and you unfortunately were not among them, but that voted no on decoupling uh, the infrastructure bill from Build Back Better. They got attacked endlessly by Democratic leadership, by the press, etc. So. They get. I never they get their, them once. I no, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. I want the audience to be super clear. Yeah. Of course not, right? But Democratic leadership did. Almost every reporter in the country did. And they never went back and apologized and said they were right when they were indisputably correct. And so, why is there two different rules? And why do progressives agree to rules where they can get attacked, but they won't attack the other side? And when you guys are right, and they're dead wrong. It's an unfair. 
battlefield. But here's why, Jake, because we want to get something done. That's so not the way to get it other, done, some, some of the other, but but some of the other folks, they're fine with a default of nothing. And if you care about advancing on climate, if you care about preschool, then we're willing to offer to compromise. Now you could say we're bad poker players, that maybe we have to bluff longer and hold the you know hold the cards longer. And you know it's like the Kenny Rogers side; you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Yeah, well, that's a fair criticism. But 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 the reality is that it's you ask me why it's because we're so we're so eager. They have progress and we're not willing to take a risk that nothing gets done. And that's the honest truth about the compromises that people have to make within a system that's not perfect until we get rid of corporate money in our politics, until we get rid of PAC money, until until we have fundamental reform. Yeah, no, I again, unfortunately, I don't agree. So I agree with you that you guys are terrible poker players. Constantly folding them is not a good strategy, that's just a fact. Um, so, uh, but it's not just about poker row. It's not, hey, do I just hold them or do I just fold them? It's no, if we don't have a deal like Lyndon Johnson and FDR did and they didn't do it to vent, they didn't even agree with us necessarily on civil rights, voting rights, etc. The things that Lyndon Johnson actually did pass because there was pressure. There was pressure on Lyndon Johnson from Martin Luther King. And then Lyndon Johnson put the pressure on the other Democrats, the Dixiecrats and, and even Republicans. So yeah, okay. saying, yeah, go ahead. But who are you talking about? You're, you're you're talking about Dr. King, and you're talking about the President of the United States. You're not talking about 20 House progressives or 50 House progressives. I just think if you have that kind of pressure or leverage, that's not going to come from a, a few members of the House. It's got to come from the President of the United States, or it's got to come from the movement. And and I have no problem, as you know. I come on, you know, last show I got beaten up in the comments. I'm still back on. I think people have a job to do to hold us accountable, and your job as a movement is different than my job. But to think that the the House progressives will have the leverage in the way that some people think, I just don't think that's realistic in getting something done and getting things done on the climate. Yeah, okay, we disagree. I think that it's super obvious that politics is not just about carrots, and we tried just carrots, and it was an abysmal failure. And it's time for sticks, but none of you will ever use the stick. It's maddening, it's maddening. That all goes all the way up to Bernie Sanders. And I want everybody to be clear, Rose on our side on all the policies. Bernie Sanders is on our side on all the policies, okay? So, but Bernie Sanders told me when he was running for president that he would go to West Virginia and he would you know, campaign against Manchin if he was president. What's stopping him now? So you don't have to be president to do that. If Bernie Sanders and you were campaign co-chair for Bernie Sanders, you and AOC and everybody went down to West Virginia, you kept talking about 82% want lower drug prices, 72% want to tax the rich. Why won't this guy do it? Why does he hate the voters of West Virginia? You would certainly start a conversation that would be deeply embarrassing to Joe Manchin and would create pressure on him. Now, but we've gone over it. So last question on this, we gotta go to your book. Last question on this. So since you're saying you guys don't, you don't think it's the right strategy for you to do it. You think if you're the president like Lyndon Johnson, that could make a difference. So it's super obvious that Joe Biden is not at all pressuring Joe Manchin. Okay, so is that a mistake? That's his temperament. Look, do I think Bernie Sanders, would have been a better president. I mean, obviously I do, that's why it was his culture. That's why I thought he would have had a movement of people and his election would have been a strategy of mobilization to get progressive policies. That's why I supported him in the primary. 
And now Joe Biden is one. It's a temperamentally different president. He's got governing true to how he campaigned. That he would bring the country together. He's very gracious. He is doing exactly what he said. I obviously want him to succeed because the alternative will be the return in my view of Donald Trump. So I'm doing everything to succeed. But obviously there's a reason I supported Bernie Sanders in the primary. Yeah. All right, so yes, he's weak and he won't ever pressure any of the corporate Democrats because he is a corporate Democrat. That's the super obvious. So we're, we're not gonna get anything past. All right, so let's go on to your book, Dignity in Digital Age. You've got a lot of terrific ideas in there. So what do you mean by dignity in a digital age? And what do you mean by taking some of the tech energy resources, jobs out of Silicon Valley, even though ironically you represent Silicon Valley? Project two things, and you know you're familiar with the Valley. Uh, the, the reality is there's $11 trillion of market value in my district and around. There are 25 million digital jobs, and these jobs aren't just oh, become a coder. These are the new manufacturing jobs uh, for building electric vehicles. These are the new jobs for building uh, solar energy, for building fusion uh, uh, energy. So the question is, why is it all concentrated? Yes, we have to tax the billionaires in my district. Yes, we need that money to fund universal preschool and Medicare for all and free public college. But we need more than that. We need to give people in communities left out, in black and brown communities and rural communities, the opportunity to produce wealth, to build wealth. You're never gonna overcome the racial wealth gap if you, don't, if you have a wealth generation gap. And so what I'm saying is, uh, let's have government policy actually care about place to build uh, advanced manufacturing technology in those places. Uh, this was totally neglected for 40 years. People were saying, were told, go move, doesn't matter, globalization's working, the new economy is working. Well, it's worked for a few cities, it hasn't worked for a lot of Americans. So, look, context is important, and I don't want the audience to, to miss the context. So you just heard Representative Khanna say that the tech billionaires in his district should be taxed. So those those are his actual policy positions, and it is bold for him to have those positions in that district. Okay, and again, he doesn't take any corporate PAC money. So now, how how would we spread the jobs to Kentucky and West Virginia and all those other places in America? Well, let's look at Intel going to Ohio, right? We finally have semiconductor manufacturing. They're twenty billion dollars. First thing I've said is, why isn't every Democrat in Ohio telling that story? I mean, if it was Donald Trump he, with a carrier deal, the whole country thought he single-handedly saved the Midwest. Here you actually got Intel going into New Albany, Ohio. It should be about the economic revival of the the Midwest, and you can have government policy with semiconductor chips saying that should be built. Uh, in the United States, and by the way, those jobs should be uh, union jobs, or at least those companies should be neutral towards a union organizing. You can have uh, incentives for saying, if you want to get a federal contract, make sure you have in your companies uh, 10% rural, African Americans, Latinos. Make sure the HBCUs are partnering uh, with uh, these tech companies to get folks the actual uh, credentials, many of them not requiring a college degree uh, to get a job. But the point is. The story we told people for 40 years is, oh, it doesn't matter, globalization, go move to the jobs, don't worry about it. And as a result, you've seen really the desolation of a large part of the country and deindustrialization and the concentration of wealth geographically. And where the book is slightly different, look, I'm all for taxing the billionaires. I'm all for a wealth tax. I'm all for Medicare for all free public college. I don't think that's enough. 
I don't think it's enough because I don't think people have pride. They want to participate in the engine of wealth generation of the modern economy. And for too long because of neoliberalism for policies that haven't been place based, that hasn't had any industrial policy. They basically we've neglected that. And I think that's part of the polarization in this country. Yeah, more context, Representative Khanna helped get the Stop Bezos Act passed. And, and and fought for that with Bernie Sanders and it forced Amazon to go to $15 minimum wage. By the way, Ro, you deserve a ton of credit for that because now Amazon, we and I remember interviewing you at the time and we talked about how then it would not only get all of those Amazon workers a higher wage, but it would get Amazon to be an advocate for a higher wage so that their competitors also get to $15. And I've now seen that in article after article where Amazon is pushing others to get to $15. So there was an, an example of, Actually, getting something done, something practical that actually worked. So that's why I'm gung ho to do things like that again. Okay. So now let me tie it back to your book and, and your ideas. So what would the government do to, you know, further the ideas that you're talking about here and in the book? Well, Jack, let me just mention that point because I have a long section on. The Bezos Act in the book that Bernie Sanders and I did. Because if you look at the op-eds at the time, I got crucified. Bernie got crucified that we didn't know what it, what the economics that this was going to lead to the automation of jobs and we were going to have less employment. You know what happened when they went after fifteen dollars? Went up to fifteen dollars. They're hiring more people, so it didn't lead to automation, and actually their profits went up. So I make the actual economic arguments of why that fifteen dollars was totally rational. Uh, and didn't hurt profits. And I call for things like having workers on boards. You know why people in Kenosha, Wisconsin are upset? They used to have 35 buck jobs in manufacturing. And now they're working in Amazon warehouses where they're making 17 bucks. And that's after Amazon has moved it up. And they, you know, the only thing worse than having a human boss is having an algorithm for your boss. They're basically appendages in certain places to robots. We have to change that. That's not dignity in a digital age. That's a worse job than your parents had. And so what I'm saying is make sure these places can unionize, make sure workers can be on boards, make sure that they have some say over their pay and more importantly over their conditions of the value they're gonna create. And we can afford that because we're producing more wealth than is possible in my district. Most wealth probably ever produced in human history. Yeah, all right, we're out of time. But by the way, when you were attacked in those op-eds, there was no one more aggressive in defending you and Bernie Sanders than TYT because you were right and and you were proven right and you fought and you won. I'm just hoping you guys get back to that fighting attitude. All right, Ro Khanna, one of the few congressmen that is both open and transparent in Congress. And does not take corporate PAC money. The new book is Dignity in Digital Age, Making Tech Work for All of Us. Representative Kana, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank always a pleasure. Look forward to being back on sometime. Thank you.